The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DKHOOPS. That's code DKHOOPS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm getting like goosebumps with this right now because I think sometimes you don't realize how dangerous a situation you were in until you step back and you think about it. At that time, the Marcos government had just been deposed and the Aquinos had just been elected the new presidents. And it was a real tumultuous time politically in the country. And in the middle of all of that was the NPA. I think it was called the New People's Army. And they were communist-backed. They were just this divisive force and they were holding people hostage and blowing up anything that was American. For example, the McDonald's where I went to from time to time was bombed one day when I, fortunately, when I wasn't there. In 1986, Andy Thompson was one of two American players on the roster of a Philippine basketball association team called the Tanwai Rum Makers. The other was Rob Williams, a first-round draft pick of the Denver Nuggets who spent two seasons in the NBA before finding his way to the PBA. The team was packed into a bus traveling to a game outside of Manila and winding their way along roads cut into the dense tropical forests and mountain passes of the Philippines. All around you, when you look and you get outside the city, this jungle, everywhere. And so we stopped at a little country general store to get something to eat. And while we stopped... It was a scene right out of, like, uh, Apocalypse Now, where the jungle just opens up and all these rebels and these this militia group comes out of nowhere. Grenade launchers, M16s, you know, 50 caliber machine guns. It was unbelievable. And I knew exactly what they were. I had been reading how kidnappings are common down here, especially for Americans. And so I'm thinking the worst and then I see they talk to the coach who's in the front front of the bus. He gets out and he talks to them. And then he says, Andy, Rob, come out. 
my heart drops, I think I'm gonna get kidnapped and held for ransom. And so we look at each other, we get up to the front of the bus, I walk out, there's this little kid, maybe 12 years old, holding an M16, a little kid. So I go over and try to give him a high five and he kind of recoils and I was like, ah, that was stupid. So I get out, Rob comes out and the coach says, just be calm, everything's cool. He says, these guys are huge Tundwai fans. And I was like, okay. He said, they just want to meet you. He said that they have a an outpost and they watch all of our games. We were the defending champs. So I guess everybody knew who Tundwai was and, and even in the countryside. But we came out, they shook our hands. We gave them some high fives. It was no autographs. They just wanted to meet us. Coach said, okay, now go get back on the bus. And we got back on the bus, visibly shaken, and we didn't say anything. The coaches got back on the bus and we drove away. And to this day, I still think, I am so fortunate that these were like Tom Dwight fans and not fans of Jeanette Bray or, or, or Toyota or somebody else. What a story. I just got goosebumps. In today's episode, we're going to take you inside the Philippines Professional League, the PBA, and explore the world of imports, American pros who get hired to reinforce local rosters. These are some of the best players on the planet outside of the NBA. And in many cases, they are former NBA veterans themselves looking to extend their careers and see the world. You're listening to Hoops Paradise, the Philippines' love of the game, brought to you by iHeartRadio and the NBA. So, Nico, you're kind of a big deal in the world of Philippine basketball, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm no Cassidy Hubbard, if that's what you're getting at. By the way, wasn't that you I saw on ESPN last week? Yeah. No, not me. I'm just another media guy with 75 different side hustles. So humble. Just a kid from Marikina City. No, but the, the, the reason I was asking this is I, I want to know, knock on wood, that this doesn't ever happen. But just in case you ever find yourself on a bus in some far-flung province outside of Manila, and that bus gets stopped on some empty stretch of road by a group of armed rebels... Are they going to drop their weapons and ask you for autographs and selfies because they know you from watching college and PBA games? Absolutely not. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do not have the Andy Thompson magic touch. Huh. I will probably FaceTime you, though, just to prove to them that I know the lady on ESPN. So you better pick up. <laughs> I will. I absolutely will. Enough said. But look, as amazing as it was to hear Andy Thompson, the brother of 13-year NBA veteran and former member of the Showtime Lakers, Michael Thompson, as well as the uncle of Warriors guard, Clay Thompson, describe that scene on the bus. There was one minor detail that got stuck in my head, and I need you to explain it for us. Well, that's why, that's why I'm here. Ask, and ye shall receive. Okay. So Andy Thompson was playing for a PBA team called the Tanwai Rum Makers. Like, what kind of name is that? <laughs> I knew that's what you were going to ask. I knew that's where you were going. Um, yeah. So before we go deep on former NBA players who've dazzled Philippine fans as PBA imports, you're right. We do need to do a full breakdown of the PBA. In episode two, we heard all the ways that the founding franchises of the PBA used the NBA as a model when they established the first pro basketball league in Asia. 
but we didn't really get into the nuts and bolts of how the PBA operates. And while the PBA has taken cues from the NBA throughout its entire 47-year history, the league also has plenty of, uh, quirks that won't make immediate sense to basketball junkies in the States. Like a team called the Rum Makers? Like a team called the Rum Makers. I see uh, that you have a lot to learn. <laughs> and the PBA, a name like the Rum Makers, it's not an exception. It's the rule. You see, from the very beginning, 1975, the league was founded with a business model built on promotion. Sure, it would make money through live attendance, merchandise sales, corporate sponsorships, and TV rights, just like the NBA does. But for franchise owners, the greatest value in owning a PBA team then and still today comes from turning every second of every game into free advertising. In a country full of basketball lovers, you can't ask for better brand awareness than having the best Filipino players and former NBA talents wearing jerseys that say Tanduay Rum Makers across the chest. So unlike the NBA, the teams in the Philippines aren't named after traditional sports mascots like your Chicago Bulls. They're named after whatever business the franchise owner wants to turn into a household name. In 86, that same season that Andy Thompson played for the rum company Tanduay, other teams in the league had names like the <clears throat> San Miguel Beermen, <laughs> the Great Taste Coffee Makers, and the Alaska Milkmen. In the PBA season that's going on right now, the Beermen are still around, along with squads carrying names like the Phoenix Super LPG Fuel Masters, and the Rain or Shine Elasto Painters. For decades, the most popular team in the country has been named after a local brand of gin called Hinebra San Miguel. They are the gin kings. So when they're on a 12-0 run against an opposing team or they need a massive defensive stop, you'll hear an entire arena filled with more than 20,000 gin king fans who call themselves the Barangay. They'll be chanting, Hinebra! Hinebra! So if I didn't know what was going on, I might think that they were all demanding gin, which is <laughs> kind of awesome. But now that I'm looking at the list of team names over the years, you need to tell me what these are about. How about the Pure Foods Chunky Giants? A classic in my top five, the Chunky Giants name. That franchise is still in the PBA, although unfortunately they don't go by the Chunky Giants anymore. Pure Foods sells hot dogs, also the reason why they were once called the Pure Foods TJ Hot Dogs, TJ standing for tender juicy, none of this is a joke. Um, <laughs> they also sell canned meats mostly, and during the Chunky Giants period, they were pushing a new and improved extra chunky corned beef product. Okay, well, how about the <laughs> B-Meg? I got more for you. The B-Meg Derby Ace Lamados? The Llamados of B-Meg ah. Derby Ace. That's actually the same franchise uh, as Pure <laughs> Foods. That same corporation that owns Pure Foods also owns a brand of chicken feet called B-Meg. And Llamado is a cockfighting term for favorite, as in the rooster who's favored to win in a fight or sabong, as we call it in the Philippines. So the basketball team who's favored to win a game. 
I mean, I, I, like I'm getting hungry now. What about what about the Crispa Red Red Manizers? You're going old school because you just named one of the most storied franchises in PBA history. You see, to this day, you can still probably find older fans who label themselves as diehard Crispanatics, even though the team hasn't been around for almost 40 years. Crispa was a clothing company, and Redmanizing was the name they came up with for their process of treating fabric to create no-shrink t-shirts. So basically, this beloved bit of Philippine basketball history was brought to you by the no-shrink shirt makers. Uh, my head is spinning. My other question about the team names is why aren't any of them associated with the cities where they play? Well, because the PBA is entirely based in Manila. Maybe that's one more reason for Filipinos from other parts of the country to be annoyed with us in the capital. But from the very, very beginning, PBA owners decided that the travel expenses that come with a true home and away format would be too costly and they'd endanger the league's survival. So majority of the PBA games are played in a handful of arenas in Metro Manila, and the league schedules regular trips to large cities and other parts of the Philippines where two teams will travel from Manila to someplace like Cebu City and play a regular season game there to make sure the rest of the country gets at least some chance to see live PBA basketball. All right, got it. I, th I mean, I think. One more newbie question, if you will, I mean, at least for now. What is up with the PBA awarding three championships per season? What is up with that? <laughs> but <laughs> it's another feature that's been part of the PBA for as long as the league has been around. It's the conference format. Basically, each PBA season is divided into three shorter seasons called conferences. Each conference consists of a slate of regular season games followed by the playoffs. So that's three conferences with each one naming a new champion within a single season. Now, their only link to each other is this. If a team manages to win the championship of all three conferences in a single season, that's called the Grand Slam. And only five teams in the history of the league have pulled it off. But why bother? What does the PBA get out of organizing seasons in a way that maybe no other pro sports league in the world does? Um, I mean, I've asked that question enough <laughs> times. Um, but for starters, it allows basketball to be a year-round sport in the Philippines. Uh, the PBA doesn't have any meaningful competition from other domestic sports, other domestic pro leagues, not in a real way. The NBA shares a calendar with NFL football, the NHL, Major League Baseball. But those aren't major sports in the Philippines, not, not even soccer. So the PBA ends up running about 11 months out of the year. I mean, it's basketball crazy. never stops, huh? It's a great slogan for Nike, and uh, it's just a state of mind for hoopers around the world. But in the Philippines, it's reality. A single year-long season would get stale. I mean... Everybody knows the grind, you probably better than any one of us about, you know, getting through an NBA 82 game schedule plus a postseason. So, you know, if you stretch that out three or four more months, got to get tough. I don't even want to think about it. And neither does the PBA. So they split the season in three to keep it fresh and start losing squads off with a blank slate every few months. And that also means triple the playoffs, which come with bigger crowds and extra media attention and more meaningful games. Plus, each conference features different restrictions when it comes to imports, as they're called here in the Philippines. In the Philippine Cup, teams can only field all Filipino rosters to highlight local talent. In the Commissioner's Cup, teams can hire one foreign big man as an import. And in the Governor's Cup, 
teams can hire one smaller import, either a wing or a guard traditionally. Way back in the 70s and 80s, including when Andy Thompson played for Tandwai, they called it a reinforced conference with one import and an open conference with two imports per team. So is this the part where we get to the height limits? I mean, I read (laughs) about these. Tell me if this sounds right. The PBA enforces height limits on imports depending on the conference. Sometimes it'll be 6'10 or 7 feet or unlimited. And other times it'll be 6'3 or 6'6. And whenever a new import comes in, they have to be measured at a PBA headquarters in Metro Manila where the player has to lay on his back and let league employees verify his height with a tape measure before he can be cleared to play. According to legendary Philippine sports broadcaster Sev Sermanta, who we heard from last episode, sometimes teams would stretch or shrink the truth. Imports would arrive claiming to be an inch or two shorter than their previously reported height when they played in the U.S., Filipino sports journalists like Kinito Henson would keep them honest, though. Kinito Henson did this long before the internet. Uh, we had sports magazines. He would subscribe to all the uh, databases. And uh, before the import arrived in the Philippines, Kinito had already written about that import. Sometimes imports would lie about their heights, and Kinito would um, just clarify and crystallize what was really the truth. And supposedly teams have developed methods of shrinking imports an inch or so to get an extra advantage. Well, the shrinking imports thing is a bit of an urban legend. It's true that in the 80s and the 90s, some PBA teams believed they could shave as much as one inch off a player's height at measurement by having them lift heavy weights on a shoulder press, an exercise that was believed to compress the spine and make a person temporarily shorter. But obviously, there's no scientific evidence to back that up. And the truth is that imports who cheated the height limit in those days, they didn't do so by shrinking their spines. They just took advantage of the league's imperfect measurement techniques. Until the 2000s, the PBA allowed imports to stand for their official measurement. So players would just add a slight bend to their knees or not stand perfectly straight against the measurement wall. There's really nothing scientific about it, just good old-fashioned gamesmanship. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're getting an inside look into a life as a PBA import, where everyone is like Mike. I always tell Michael, when I started working with Michael really closely in 1998 on The Last Dance, and we were just talking about life one day, and I said, hey man, I know what it's like to, to be you. He looked at me like, how in the hell do you know what it's like to be me? What are you, what are you talking about? The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DKHOOPS. That's code DKHOOPS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG dot com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the 70s and 80s, before there was more competition to sign players from pro leagues in Europe and East Asia, it was much more common to see imports arriving in Manila fresh off their last NBA contracts. Dozens of former NBA players have suited up as PBA imports throughout the league's history. But to be honest, looking over the list of their names can feel a little bit like watching Charles Barkley and Shaq play who he play for (laughs) on Inside the NBA. I mean, check out this list, right? I mean, Glenn McDonald or my childhood hero, Lamont the Helicopter Strothers. They're probably better remembered in the Philippines as dominating imports than anywhere in the States for their NBA careers. Guards like Kevin Gamble and Vincent Eskew were NBA journeymen in the 90s, but they each began their journeys overseas with stops in the PBA and other international leagues before playing their way into the NBA. And it's unlikely many Celtics fans recall a backup guard named Tony Harris, who played a couple of seasons in Boston in the mid-90s. But any PBA follower old enough to remember will tell you about the day Hurricane Harris set the league's single-game scoring record with 105 points. Wow. 105 from a backup guard. Played for the Celtics. The Celtic fans don't even remember. (laughs) Now, there's also Peter John Ramos. No relation. No relation. I'll just make that clear right now. Not related to him. And the next detail will make you say, yeah, of course. Yeah. He's seven foot four. (laughs) Oh. Yep. 
Yeah. He spent a season with the Washington Wizards in the mid-aughts, resurfaced in the PBA in 2015 to be teammates with, guess who? Player coach Manny Pacquiao on an expansion <laughs> team called the Kia Carnival. That was the same season that ex-Oklahoma City Thunder big man Daniel Orton lost his roster spot after publicly questioning the legitimacy of a pro basketball league that would allow a five foot five inch celebrity boxer and congressman to play because of his heroics in the ring and political clout. Even by the PBA standards, that was a weird time. I mean, I guess I see his point. There's always a stir when a PBA team lands an import who played on an NBA championship team. Josh Powell and DJ Banga, both of whom won titles playing for the Lakers alongside Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol in 2009 and 2010, showed up for separate tours in Manila after their NBA opportunities had faded. And who's this? Scott Burrell and Dickie Simpkins, two players who had contributed to the Chicago Bulls three-peats in the 90s? How did they not win PBA championships simply by having been in the presence of Michael Jordan? That's probably what the PBA teams who hired them were thinking. See, that's one of the tricky things about playing as an import with NBA experience. The fans, the media, even the teams themselves have even greater expectations of an accomplished NBA veteran compared to a former, let's say, all-conference star in college who never played at the highest level. And this is a job, being a PBA import, where the baseline expectations are already off the charts. If you're not your team's best player on both sides of the floor, if you're not averaging close to 30 points per game, and if you aren't delivering wins, no matter how good your stats, your team might send you home as soon as a replacement import becomes available. One of the longtime coaches in the league, a legendarily hard-nosed guy named Yang Gao, shout out Coach Yang, once said he'd replace his import before Game 7 of the finals if he knew he had Michael Jordan coming in to close out the series. But I mean, like, who wouldn't? I've heard that even in the unforgiving world of international basketball, where American imports understand that they're often only as good as their last game, the PBA can be particularly cutthroat. Darvin Ham, the first-year head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, flew into Manila in early 2006, just months removed from being on an NBA Finals floor with the Detroit Pistons. He arrived just in time to join the talk and text phone pals for the playoffs, replacing an import who'd played well but did not own a championship ring. The move didn't pay off. Talk and Tex lost their first playoff series 3-1, and Ham was headed back home after four games. The NBA veteran had been a burly defensive specialist with the Pistons, but when he was facing triple teams in the PBA and still expected to drop 30, he couldn't adjust fast enough to the new role. Andy Thompson, the former Tandwai rum makers import we heard from at the beginning of this episode, is back to tell us firsthand about the life of a PBA import. After knee injuries forced him to retire from playing, Andy joined NBA Entertainment and eventually became an executive producer on Michael Jordan's The Last Dance documentary. And when you hear this man talk about his experience in the PBA, you'll wonder if he's planning to make a documentary about Philippine basketball next. The guy who I replaced was Benny Anders, great player in his own right from the University of Houston. He was averaging 30 points a game and like 18 or 20 rebounds. He got, and he got cut. And I was like, what did they expect from me? You just cut a guy averaging 30 and 20? Are you kidding me? But they had won the two previous championships. They won the Open and they won the 6-4 and under. So they were back-to-back champions and they were going for the, the triple crown, they called it. 
which was the open, which was six, six and under. And I was six, six and I, I had to play the center. And so I, I walk off the plane and I get to practice, can barely keep my eyes open because of the jet lag. And, um, and then we had to play the next day. So I've only had one day to practice. And I go out in the first game and I, and I just stink it up. I was, I was two for eight the first half. I only had six points. And I'm feeling like I'm not going to be here very long if I expect to score 30 and grab 20 boards. But I remember I'm, my head's down in the locker room. Rob Williams comes over to me and goes, yo, Judge. He always called me Judge. Yo, Judge, you, uh, you can play, man. I said, I watched you practice yesterday. You can play. He says there are two ways to get cut here in the Philippines. You can get cut shooting too little or you can get cut shooting too much. He says, if I was you, bro, I'd start shooting. He said, you got this. And he patted me on the back. And it was like, it, it, it gives me goosebumps to think, I don't know what that, those couple of words and that pat on the back, but that gave me enough confidence to go out in the second half where I scored 24 and I hit the game winning shot. So I ended up winning, you know, with 30 points and like 18 rebounds. So I, I made my quota, but more importantly, we won the game. And it was like, boom. I knew that I can play when I did that 30 and 20 and I had a bad game in my opinion. And I knew at that point, okay, maybe this can work. You know, I was nobody in, in, in Europe and I was, you know, coming off the bench at the University of Minnesota. And then all of a sudden now I'm this big time star, I, I quotation mark star in the Philippines. And it lasted about two weeks where I was enjoying it until you just want to go out and, and shop for some shoes or, you know, a suit or whatever. And there's this line of people lining up behind you to just watch you do everything. Whether I go to a food market, uh, wherever I went, there was just a line of people. You, you know, you can't eat a dinner anymore. I always tell Michael, when I started working with Michael really closely in 1998 on The Last Dance, and we were just talking about life one day. And I said, hey man, I know what it's like to, to be you. He looked at me like, how in the hell do you know what it's like to be me? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And then I related my experiences of being followed every day by the media, by fans, not having a moment's rest. I said, believe me, dude, I know what it's like to be you and it ain't fun. Andy told us what it was like to play in the PBA in the 80s with that signature scrappy style. One thing we had to realize, too, we had to play all 48 minutes. It was NBA rules, 48 minutes, 12 minute quarters, and imports were expected to play every minute, which I didn't know when I got here. So I went all out. And then when I realized I was hopefully going to take a, a rest after like 10 minutes, the coach was like, no, you're not coming now. You got to play the whole game. And I remember at the end of the first game, I was literally on fumes, just trying to pick my spots when I can run on a fast break, hoping I can get a rebound and throw it out so I can hang and get some rest. So very quickly you realize the rules for the imports and the rules for everybody else was different. It was an open style of play where it was a motion offense. There were very few set plays, so basically it was motion offense. It was definitely the the roughest, tumblest, dirtiest form of basketball I've ever played in. And I, it's not to denigrate the style of play, but I, I, the mentality on how they played the games and then how they especially treated the, the imports, because if you can get an import off of this game that wasn't used to being tripped, being punched in the ribs, or you know, hit in the lower region, and and you sw you take a swing and you're out of the game. And whoever's import leaves the game, the team loses. Getting imports off their game is a key part to success in the PBA. 
And there's one import stopper that rises above the rest, Nick Velasco. We watch a lot of film on them and we know that they get frustrated if you hit them too much or if you play them too physical. So that's exactly what we would do. Whatever we can do to get them disrupted and, and upset and triggered and, and get their mind off of their strategy as a team and get them to want to fight us, then that means we won because they're not thinking about the game anymore. They're thinking about how badly they want to fight us. We'll hear more from Nick in a second. Damn, Nico. Is the PBA still as rugged as Andy described? He made it sound like driving into the lane was like entering the Thunderdome. It's not that bad anymore. Fans love the rough and tumble style of PBA ball in the 80s. But over time, the league, in fairness, has moved away from the unspoken rule of no blood, no foul. And the product, a more free-flowing, skillful game, is better for it. I mean, that doesn't mean the PBA hasn't remained a very physical league. I mean, they just reined in the dangerous stuff the players got away with in Andy's day. Which brings me to our Tagalog lesson for this episode, Cassidy. Oi. Today's word is gulang. Huh. I remember Donna mentioned that. You're right. You're right. Way back in episode one, she did. She did say that. In the dictionary, if you look up the word gulang, it just means age. But on the basketball court, gulang is more like craftiness. The tricks that experienced PBA players can use to get the better of younger, greener opponents. Some of these tactics can feel borderline dirty, like holding a player's index finger as he's about to jump for a rebound to stunt his upward momentum. All it takes is a gentle yank in the wrong direction to give the practitioner of gulang the edge he needs to secure the ball. But that's the thing. PBA imports are often such gifted scorers that local defenders will sink to bizarre levels in hopes of throwing imports off their game. Gulang is particularly important to a group of players known as import stoppers, guys who have a reputation for being able to make an import work for his numbers. Nick Velasco is one of the league's top defenders and a designated import stopper for much of his 16-year career in the PBA. The six-foot-six forward, raised in Stockton, California, had the size and quickness to match up with imports, and so he was asked to defend a different former college All-American or fringe NBA talent almost every time he stepped on the court during import conferences. He's going to teach us the tricks of the trade. Ron Jacobs was the one that really made a big deal about it, and he saw that I could guard guys like Sonny Alvarado, who was a, a fill-am, more like an import. And he played for Tan Dwyer, and I could guard him real well, one-on-one, -on -one, full court. So uh, Ron Jacobs was running the San Miguel Beerman team and Ginebra. He was running all the San Miguel teams. And he started a, a pathway to get a trade for me to bring me to San Miguel. Because he knew that he would have to face Sonny Alvarado in the playoffs, in the quarterfinals. And he knew I can guard him one-on-one. -on -one. I just want to tell you, um, I remember the day you got traded to San Miguel as a lifelong San Miguel fan. Uh, I remember my dad actually buying San Miguel and bringing it to the house and uh, celebrating because Nick Velasco was now playing for San Miguel. It was a happy day in our household. I'll, ne I'll never forget it. My dad then proceeded to watch your games and then tell me to play like you. And I was like, he's... <laughs> 
look at him, look at me. I'm like, no, there's no way I can do that. Now, since we're looking back on your on your PBA career, one that I've obviously been such a big fan of, who comes to mind when you think about your toughest matchups? You mentioned Sonny Alvarado. He was a handful for, for, for anybody, whether uh-huh. it's locals or whether it's imports. Who makes it to the top of your mind when you think of like the toughest players you played? Well, the guys that introduced me to Philippine basketball, uh, and it was a rude introduction to it was uh, Noli Loxin. Noli Loxin, I got so many scars on my face just from him. And the reverse layup by Noli, the tank. The tank. The tank. And, you know, I was a, I was trained to play pressure, denial, defense. I can guard you full court. You know, I pretty much put my whole body all over you when I play defense and, and disrupt everything you do. So when you when you play defense like that, these veteran players such as Noli, they know how to get you. You know, if your face is right here, they're just going to make a move like this and it's legal and you're going to eat those elbows. So my first year, I got cut a lot because I, I never backed down from putting my face right there. And I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to get my face out of the way and still get the job done. So they just kept teeing off on me. Those are the guys that, that gave me hell my first year. And, and it was mostly locals because, you know, the big wave of Philams didn't come in until 1999, around that point where Asi Talaba and, and Rudy and Eric Mink and all them came through. Phil Am, or Filipino-American players, have a unique role in the PBA since they have their own category and don't count as imports on a team roster. The rules for how many Phil Am players are allowed on a team have changed over the years, but their importance to the league means they're heavily scouted from college teams and local Philippine basketball clubs. You know, I'm honestly kind of surprised I wasn't scouted for my PBA Chicago team. Uh, just kidding. The one that gave me fits the worst was Nelson Asaitono. He would score 40 points on me every game my rookie year. And then there was a bar called Cable Car. I don't know if you guys remember Cable Car, the original on Pasay Road. You know, I would always go there with my, my teammates my rookie year, which was Boy Vincent Victoria, uh, Dwight Lago, you know, for Helmand SS. We would always go there and hang out at Makati, have some beer. And Ives Dignadise would always be out there. And Ives, for whatever reason, you know, he's really a defensive specialist and he played for Ron Jacobs. The Ron Jacobs style is that you know everyone's tendency that you're guarding. You know their moves exact and you know how to shut it down and send them to their weaknesses. So Ives sat me down, we had a bunch of beer and he broke down all the secrets and tendencies of each one of those players. You know, Alvin's gonna do this move. Nelson's gonna spin baseline. Um, Noli's gonna take one or two dribbles and then spin. And you wait for them to jump and then you jump second, then you're gonna block it. So I started, you know, I remembered all that. I was just absorbing it from Ives. So that changed everything for me because now when I played against those guys that were really giving me hell, I was able to shut down some of their stuff and then I started figuring it out. On top of the ball, well, I heard a, a big bang on the, on, the, on the floor. It looks like someone got hit in the head. It was just about being smart, and, and that's what I learned from Noli Luxin. Because what I would do is when Noli would hit me, I'll hit him back right away. And then he'll just be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Nick, I'm sorry. Because we would always go out and have drinks after the game because he, he was good friends with Dwight Lago, and me and Dwight were close and teammates. So we would have these crazy battles during the game, and then it would be, end up somewhere at someone's house drinking wine or beer or whatever and hanging out listening to jazz. And... 
you know, I couldn't figure out the psychological thing that was happening there because we're all buddy buddy. But then as soon as the game starts, boom, I get hit. And then I'm I'm all frustrated. And he's like, sorry, Nick, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then Noli would be like, we'll be running down the court after he hit, elbows me. And he's like, just hit me back, hit me back, hit me back, hit me back, like whispering it to me. And finally, one, one day I, I fell for it. I just leveled him at half court, boom. And he was just waiting for it. So I got thrown out. So I started figuring out the pattern that as soon as the ball's up in the air and we're all battling for a rebound, that's when I'll get hit, like bang. And then I started realizing I can't hit him back right now because everyone's looking at us now. They missed his hit, but they saw me react. So now they're looking. When I hit him back before, I would be the one that would get caught. So I learned that you got to run up and down a couple of times and you wait for someone to shoot the ball, then you get them, you know, and that's where no one's expecting it. They kind of forgot about the, the previous incident. And then Noli would, or whoever it was would just be like, ah, oh, you got me back. Like, and it would just be an ongoing thing. <laughs> when I figured it out, then I started using it against other people. So when a new player would come in the league, like I would be licking my chops the same way that those guys were licking their chops when they saw me come in the league. And I used all the same tricks against them and, uh, you know, give them hell. After the break, we're talking about one of the biggest legends in PBA history, a former Portland trailblazer turned PBA star known as the Black Superman, Billy Ray Bates. He actually played with Andy Thompson in the PBA and was in the same NBA draft class as Raymond Townsend, the first Filipino American in the NBA. Even coach Eric Spolstra was a big OG Billy Ray Bates fan. My family over there would always send VHS tapes of the PBA. And so I, I was familiar with the PBA uh, and Billy Ray Bates, who's a legend over there, he actually played for the Portland Trailblazers. Bates, go! Oh. Unbelievable job. Billy Ray Bates almost rocked down the backboard. He was kind of a, a two-year legend in, in Portland where they still talk about him. Well, he finished his career in the Philippines. Uh, so I felt a connection uh, to Billy Ray Bates, but also to the PBA. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DKHOOPS. That's code DKHOOPS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See DKNG bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. You're asking me to basically tell you about Michael Jordan. Literally, he made the PBA what it is today. He's known as the Black Superman. And I think there's probably next to Air Jordan, there is nobody else with a more fitting name than the Black Superman because he, he was that good and that dominant. He was six foot four, about 225 pounds, can jump like Jordan, has like Jordan. If you go back and you Google him in the NBA, he's one of the few players who, who never got drafted, what was called up from the CBA. And the minute he played his first couple of games with the Portland Trailblazers, he made an immediate impact. There's probably only one player in history who was called the legend by Brett Musburger at halftime of an NBA playoff game before winding up as a PBA import and carving out an even more legendary career in Manila. Billy Ray Bates. His story captivated NBA fans late in the 1979-80 season when the Portland Trailblazers signed Bates, an undrafted 6'4 guard who'd been putting up monster scoring numbers for a minor league team in the old CBA called the Maine Lumberjacks. Bates helped the Blazers rally for a playoff spot, and in the first round against the defending champion Seattle Supersonics, Bates gave one of the best teams in the NBA all that they could handle. Against an all-star backcourt, Bates torched Seattle's Dennis Johnson and Gus Williams for 25 points per game in a losing effort that series. By the way, don't you know who Dennis Johnson is? Yes, I know the guy. I heard of him. Don't you know how good he is defensively? You're not supposed to be getting off a 29 on him. Well, uh, you know, I just come out here, you know, and take my open shots and, you know, look for the good shot and look the pass off. And, you know, I just... Got those 29 points by playing team ball, and, you know, I was wide open. The following year, Bates averaged 28.3 points per game while the Blazers fell again in the first round. But it gave him a career NBA playoff average of 26.7 points per game, a franchise record in Portland that even Damian Lillard, with a postseason average of 25.7 points per game, is still trying to catch. 
he had a nuclear first step, and the explosiveness to get to the rim and dunk in the blink of an eye. He had a soft shooting touch on running bank shots and baseline pull-up jumpers from the mid-range, and he shot and made three-pointers like a modern NBA guard. Back in Portland, the minister of a local church even wrote a verse about Bates into his sermon. And CBS's Musburger read it aloud to him on national TV before a playoff game. Well, anyway, you're going so good in Portland. Look at this. The ministers now are making their sermons about you on Sunday. Rock of ages, Billy Ray. Shoot a jump shot, fade away. Get a slammer, that away. Fire home, a three-point play. Rock of ages, Billy Ray. We all hope you're here to stay. Are you indeed here to stay? Yes, uh, I hope so. I'm going to give it all I got, you know, show the people what I can do and... You know, I like the system, and I hope I'm here to stay. But it wasn't Bates' game that brought him to Manila. There's no doubt that he had the raw scoring ability of a multiple-time NBA All-Star. Unfortunately, like David Thompson, Michael Ray Richardson, and a number of other brilliant talents who never quite lived up to their potential in the 70s and 80s, Bates struggled with substance abuse. Teams considered him unreliable, and he washed out of the NBA in 1983. The next month, he was on his way to Manila, where he didn't clean up his lifestyle, but it didn't matter. He could party as much as he wanted, and by some accounts he did, and still score at will in the PBA. A six foot four guard with a thick, powerful frame and pre-Jordan, Jordan-esque hang time, Bates could put the ball in the basket from just about anywhere on the court. Oh my goodness, trying to guard this guy? Like I said, six four, guard skills, hands like Jordan, can jump out the gym, and he had a three-point jump shot. It was, he was unguardable. At that time, he averaged, I think, 48 points a game. It's a point a minute, okay? It's hard to average 48 points a game if you're playing for Little Sisters of the Poor or the YMCA. He was that dominant. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Couldn't be stopped. Got to his spots. He was like Larry Bird at times. I'm gonna go right over there and shoot a jumper and you can't do anything about it. He was that dominant. Delray Bates comes out of nowhere to pull down the rebound and keeps it in the turf of Hinebra San Miguel. They're up hit by six. Make that nine on a triple by Delray Bates. The PBA, a league that is no stranger to high-scoring imports, had never seen a player like Bates. In his first game playing for the Crispo Redmanizers, he unloaded 64 points, shooting 5 of 6 on 3-pointers, 17 of 25 on 2s, and 15 of 16 from the free throw line. For good measure, he grabbed 12 rebounds and dished 5 assists out to go along with 1 steal and 1 block shot. Talk about stuff in the stat sheet. And that game was no fluke. Bates went on to play four full PBA conferences with Crispa and then Hedebra San Miguel over the 1983, 1986, and 1987 seasons. Villaray Bates making his move up. B-Boy Davantes, he goes to the... That piston! That's the one you were waiting for, Kenito. I thought everyone was waiting for it. His career average of 46.2 points is still the highest in PBA history, a record that's unlikely to ever be broken. And he wasn't just a stat stuffer. Bates was a winner. He led CRISPA to championships in both conferences he played in 83, helping the Redmondizers become the second PBA team to ever pull off a grand slam of all three conference titles in the same season. When he returned with Hanebra, he led them to championships in both conferences he played, four championships in four tries. 
He was such a sensation that a local shoe brand, Grosby, made a line of signature shoes for Bates called the Black Supermans and re-released a retro version of them in 2013, 40 years after Bates first stepped onto a PBA court. The Hinebra franchise brought Bates back one more time in 1988, but by then, his lifestyle was catching up to him. Bates was out of shape, and he and the team struggled. After four games, Bates got sent home. Like so many other PBA imports who came before and after him, he'd been replaced. But fans in the Philippines never forgot the Black Superman, the greatest talent who ever graced the league. In 2011, he became one of just three imports named to the PBA Hall of Fame. Bates' story hasn't had a storybook ending. After he retired from basketball, he continued to struggle with addiction and spent almost five years in prison. After his release, he returned to the Philippines for his Hall of Fame induction in 2011 and found a shot at redemption as the skills coach for a team in the ASEAN Basketball League. Almost six months after he'd been hired, Bates was dismissed from the job. So I think it's safe to say that this story is not going to end up in a Hallmark card, but Bates had a brilliant, unforgettable run in the PBA, one that touched the hearts and imaginations of a basketball nation. During a time when the Philippines had hardly any televised access to NBA basketball and above-the-rim legends like Julius Irving and Michael Jordan, PBA fans could say they had their own high-flying and high-scoring hero, one who had already proven he could average almost 30 points in an NBA playoff series. And his name was Billy Ray Bates. Grimmett on the inbound play, inbound, Bates at the heart, he scores! They score, and they win it! Thanks for listening to episode three of Hoops Paradise, the Philippines' love of the game. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get podcasts. And check out episode four, where we'll be going deep on the impact Kobe Bryant and other NBA players have had on the lives of countless Filipinos. You had lunch with him? Yeah, but I wasn't able to eat. <laughs> I was like, just like, starstruck. <laughs> Kobe had like... lunch. Cat sat next to him. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. 
Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.